So I'm here in the bowels of I, the uh, big media center in Amsterdam for my last day at the Amsterdam Animation Festival Click. And I'm here with Yvonne van Ulden, who has been running the festival for the last, is it five years? Ooh, it's a little bit longer than that. It's 2015, I started six years now. I've been with the festival since 2008 and running it since 2010. Mm-hmm. Yes. How many years in overall has it been? Has it been, because I remember you said that it was uh, one year that it didn't happen. Yeah, we started in 2007, and then, uh, so that would be the ninth edition, but then in 2011, we had to switch from one venue uh, that was a little bit too small for us to this big venue that we're in now, but this venue was still being built. So uh, we skipped a year or a half year, actually. Well, I do have to say I'm very enamored of this venue, the whole atmosphere, the construction, the architecture. It's got a shitload of stairs, which makes me feel better about myself, all the drinking I've been doing during the day. I kind of feel like I'm burning some stuff off, you know, getting to the screenings. But no, it's just a really nice overall ambiance. And, you know, I love the uh, sort of sculptures and little things that have been added for the festival. It's had a really nice kind of identity, I suppose. Yeah, I guess uh, we're wrapping up the podcast minisodes. We're going to go through some of the major guests of the festival this year. It's been a real treat as far as, you know, being an animation geek, some really, really sort of big players and people doing exciting uh, work at the moment. Going back to your sort of involvement in the festival, perhaps you could talk a little bit about what sort of role, I guess, you play in the overall curation and looking for guests and people like that as far as getting a festival like this organized. Okay, uh, let me see. We we start the year with... um laying out a general plan of the festival, uh, what will be the team, what will be the, the focus points, what are people that are interesting, who are doing interesting things. We have some big brainstorm with other people involved in animation to, to get our juices flowing and, and, and start thinking about it. So then I, uh, together with my, my head programmer Tunde, uh, we lay out the structure of the festival and then we start filling it in. So that's, that's one part and then at the same time I do all the fundraising and the writing and things like that. And then uh, in the beginning of the year the, the films uh, for the competition start flowing in and we've got a lot of them. This year we got over 1800 films from 80 countries so that's, that's quite a lot and then needs to be processed. They need to be watched, uh, they need to be graded, uh, we need to make a selection. I do professional competition together. We always watch with a couple of people. I don't want to make an ego uh, program of things that I like. I, uh, I'm here to promote animation for the Dutch audience and to create a platform for, for Dutch filmmakers and international filmmakers. So I watch together with, with two other people and we, we value the films and we think this is interesting, this is not interesting. And in the end, I will make the end decision on what films go in. And we make something that we find very important in this festival is that not only the films are good, but that the programs are good, that you can make out of that. So uh, in the end, I really want the, the viewer to go into a program of short films and have a blast and have a nice experience with several different films, funny films, sad films, beautiful aesthetic films. So if you, you can imagine if you see only very sad films one hour and a half uh, in a row that you will come out uh, in a, a, yeah, a bit drained and a bit beaten. Uh, so that's, that's not what we want. We, we want them to have a good experience and we want to show that animation has something to offer for, for most of us. Uh, there are so many genres and so many 
kinds so that uh, I'm, I want to show this diversity as well. So I, I also program a lot of more funny stuff together with the sad stuff. So that's something I do. I work a lot on, on things outside of the cinema to make it a real experience to be here so that you can be creative, can interact with, with uh, digital um, new media, with games that use beautiful animation or also do some handcrafted things. Um, there are a lot of our performances. So there are lots of things going on. And what, I do, I, what do I do more? Uh, partnerships, uh, talking with people, um, seeing um, what kind of collaborations we could do with other organizations, with other people, with makers. And so the year continues and then we go into production. <laughs> then there's a lot of things to deal with as well. And then we end up with a festival. There you go. It all begins again uh, from next week on, I suppose. <laughs> do you get a bit of respite after the festival wraps up? I think a week of rest and feeling lousy and being tired and sad that it's all over again. And then it's uh, wrapping everything up, doing the financial stuff, and uh, then starting again. Well, yeah, definitely uh, this year is a wonderful sort of selection of special events. I really enjoy the sort of themes of some of the screenings. There's a lot of thought that's gone into them. I think there is a certain trend among some festivals to kind of either imitate what's going on at other festivals or to just come up with very, very sort of bland thematic groupings for films. But with Click, I found that there's definitely, there's a lot more sort of thought that's gone into it. There's a lot more kind of consideration. Things like emerging nations, like really sort of putting in the legwork to, you know, finding, you know, films that are coming from territories that aren't necessarily known for their animation. That kind of sort of positive energy, I suppose, that's around is, is something that's really kind of palpable, sort of walking around here. Everyone's very enthusiastic. So yeah, and I've really, you know, and it's always a joy to get to meet people or to catch up with people, people that I admire a great deal. And uh, one studio that's been really sort of on the map the last couple of years or so, with an Oscar nomination recently, is Job Joris and Mariek, which I think is how you pronounce their names. I apologize if I got that wrong. But uh, I met Job and Joris earlier today, had a little chat with them, and just to sort of get the, some insight into their working process. And uh, I wondered if you had any sort of uh, thoughts or impressions on them and their work. Oh, yeah, we, we love their work. We're very proud of them here in the Netherlands. They have a really developed their own style and their own um, sense of humor. Although this, this last film they've made is, is sometimes funny, but it's also very sad. Mm -hmm. And um, this style that they have developed is, uh, is really uh, special and unique, and uh, um, they tell good stories. Mm -hmm. So let's turn it over to Job Joris and uh, hear a little bit about what they've been up to. Yeah, we are uh, Job Rogeveen and Joris Oprins from uh, studio Job, Joris and Marieke. Uh, we make short animated films, uh, also music videos, and uh, we do a lot of commissioned work. But lately we've been working on uh, uh, independent films since our uh, film A Single Life was nominated for an Oscar, which was a really strange experience. But it, uh, it helped us in, uh, in um, straighten out our path, I think, in, in our work. Uh, our background is uh, designers. We, uh, we studied design and then wanted to become a filmmaker. Maybe yours can tell a little bit about that. Yeah, we started with, um, uh, with really making uh, short films with actors in the beginning. And uh, that didn't really work out the way we wanted. It didn't really uh, look or move uh, like we wanted them uh, to look or move. Uh, so that's when we decided to go for animation because we can really uh, dictate everything 
and um, be some sort of uh, rulers in our own uh, universe. That's, uh, that's what we've been doing ever since. We started our studio officially in 2007, I think. And we're only with three people, so it's, uh, uh, it's not like a huge studio, it's just three people. Job does, uh, is also is next to designer and uh, art director. He's also a uh, composer, so he does uh, music and sound effects. And uh, we write, design and animate everything uh, uh, with the three of us. The basic concept and the basic design, that's always something we do with the three of us. That's, that's, that's like a rule, we always do it like that. But then when we, start, when we go into production, uh, Job doesn't animate, so that's something Marieke and I do. Um, I make more of the, the, the directing uh, decisions at that point, and uh, Marieke does more of the writing, and Job does more of the art direction. So that's how we, how we decide it uh, roughly. But if a decision is very important, uh, it's always a decision by the three of us. We, the ideas are something we do with the three of us, but Marieke would be the one who writes it, uh, writes it into a script or a screenplay. So that, that's uh, next to animation, that's one of her roles. One big advantage is that we, we've been working together for a long time. We also have been, uh, we, we, we studied together and uh, we're also friends and Marieke is my girlfriend. So we, we, we really have some sort of the same background for all these years and we've watched the same films and we work together so long that it's uh, pretty hard for somebody else to, uh, to join in because we know with, one, with a half a word we know what we mean. And that's something that's pretty hard for other people to uh, to join in. But it's it's a process we're in right now because we're trying to make uh, we are going to make a 25 minutes uh, short film uh, this year, and next year we hope to start with a feature length film. It's very um, uh, very uh, um, uh, optimistic, but we hope we can start uh, by then. And uh, obviously, then we need a bigger team. But that's something that we are slowly evolving in in accepting other people to do stuff we prefer to do ourselves. So. So for a feature project, are you going to sort of continue in the kind of independent vein that you've been working in, or is that something that you're going to go for more mainstream funding? Now, in, in the Netherlands, you got the Dutch Film Fund. That's the, that's the, the, the main place where you can get money for films. So uh, that would be probably the first step. Uh, so we um, that's probably an independent way of working. Has that uh, been how you've been able to make your other independent films? Uh, it varies. Uh, we've made a um, uh, mute with uh, hardly any uh, funding, so we, we paid for it ourselves. We did a lot of music videos, which were small budget and a lot of freedom, so we consider those also independent uh, work. And uh, a single life, and uh, although they were uh, sponsored by the Dutch Film Fund. And some other funds. And some yeah. other funds, yeah. They work together, actually, and also with a broadcast network. So, uh but it's it's uh, if you compare it uh, with, uh, with 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 the uh, United States, uh, we don't really have um, uh, major animation studios here that can pay for their. It's it's always in some way it's always together with a fund in in Europe. I think. Certainly, I think the thing that makes your personal work stand out is that they will have the, that sort of core idea, at all of them, like with new, seemingly simple concept, but really kind of like doing as much as possible with it. Yeah, I think uh, yours is coming up with a lot of great ideas. Just a starting point, for instance, with Mute, he cut his toe and then it looked like a mouth and we all thought, okay, uh, maybe we can turn it into a film. But I think the three of us have a... Um, 
like when there's an idea the three of us recognize it when it could be a really good idea for a film and we we love to have a twisted idea for a start and then give it a look how far we can take it i think a big advantage of our um, uh, of our visual style is that even though the ideas are pretty weird the designs aren't that extremely uh, weird or difficult, quite accessible, yeah. I think that that combination of a quite accessible uh, design but pretty weird ideas, that's something we really like. And also with commissioned work, for instance, we made a short film for the Grand Depart of the Tour de France because it started in, a, in our own city, uh, Utrecht. And uh, they asked us to pitch for uh, a, a, a short film to present uh, uh, the city of Utrecht to the rest of the world as a, as a, as a bicycle city. And we came up uh, even there with a pretty weird idea, which wasn't your typical uh, tourist uh, information uh, film. But even for commissioned work, those ideas work really well. But I think the advantage we had there is that it wasn't uh, commercial, um, a TV commercial length. So we could make a, sh a two minutes, I don't know, two minutes? Three. Three minutes yeah. uh, short film. And that's the kind of commissioned work we really hope to do the most. So I think uh, if it's only 20 seconds, it's harder to get really a feeling or a, 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 or a, short, a story across. I also think that um, what I like, for instance, about a single life or film is that um, it has a mixture of emotions. So you feel different things at the same time. So you, people have to laugh, but they also are reminded of uh, how short life can be. And it's so also a little bit awkward and it's funny. So that, that if it's just funny, it's maybe a little bit too shallow for us. So that was Job Yaris, the directors of films like A Single Life and Mute and recently Otto, as well as a whole bunch of really interesting commercial projects and stuff. You can check them out online if you haven't uh, seen their work already. Uh, also at the festival this year, someone that uh, we've had on the podcast before who we're all, I think, very, very uh, enamored of is Pez. Pez is one of the most unique animation filmmakers. As far as I can tell, he's really sort of been a bit of a game changer. He's certainly very imitated which is a shared trait, I think, amongst people who kind of are innovative in the, in the industry. Pez recently come off a very large sort of corporate commission for Honda, and I think one of the things that makes his work stand out is that he can do a commercial project, something that is a bit more corporate, and have it sort of retain his artistic sensibility. Uh, Pez also presented a kind of retrospective and some insights into his work last night, a kind of filmography slash uh, biography presentation, I suppose. It's a lovely guest. We're really pleased to have him here. Uh, a lot of people love the, his work here also in the Netherlands. The room was completely filled mm. and packed with people who, um, who were really enjoying themselves. And he talked about uh, his films and the process of making them. So that was really interesting. So really honored to have him here. Mm -hmm. Is there any uh, of his work in particular that you're fond of? Uh, I like Kaboom a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw something new. Gold, black gold or something in the presentation. Oh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the jewelry, yeah. the insect jewelry one. Yeah. It was interesting. That, that was new for me, and uh, I thought that was a really beautiful. And, I, of course, I like all the, the classics. Mm, yeah, It's interesting how that, that film, and he made sort of a mention of this, that's the kind of film, that and the, the deep, the one with the tools underwater. Mm -hmm. um, I think when he spoke to us on the podcast last, he made a point of saying that those don't really land online in the way that his other films do like the Food Trilogy and the various other ones like Kaboom uh, that sort of rely on that kind of tactile objects replacing objects approach. Uh, but for some reason, Black Gold and The Deep, because they're more atmospheric, they play much better to like a festival audience. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice that, you know, there are these kind of retrospectives and things that will play them and we'll put them in that context for the audience. That's great. So yeah, so here's Pez, catching up with Pez about what he's been up to since we spoke to him last. 
if I remember right from last night, this is your first time at the festival. Um, what are your sort of first impressions of how they do things over here? Oh, it's great so far. I mean, it's an amazing venue. It's an amazing building, the eye. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it seems like they've got a nice selection of programs. And, um, you know, happy to be part of it, frankly. It's the first time back in Amsterdam in a while, so it's nice to be able to, you know, come back, spend some time and, um, you know, connect with people in a more direct way. Are you quite fond of the city? Oh, yeah, I love the city. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I came in a couple days early, just wandered around, you know, just sort of got a lay of the land. And, uh, you know, I live in L.A. now, so it's quite different here. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's refreshing to have this, uh, you know, difference. When last we spoke, you were just wrapping up Submarine Sandwich, which is the um, concluding part of the food trilogy. And, uh, <laughs> since then, is what sort of like the overview of what you've been up to since that film was uh, put online? Uh, let's see. Well, that's a good question. You know, I got busy with commission work this year. Uh, you know, I, I really had to make up for um, all the time that I put into uh, Submarine Sandwich. I live this life where I have to, you know, balance my um, original content with uh, commissioned work um, to make a living and to, um, you know, so I had to turn towards doing more commission work this spring and uh, summer. So uh, I did a couple projects. Um, the largest of which I did was for Honda. Um, a large international brand uh, piece for them, which uh, just released a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, that basically kept me busy for four straight months in the summer. So it was a really, really, even though four months sounds like quite a while, for a two-minute film, um, it's, uh, it was pretty tight uh, schedule. So um, I pretty much gave up my, my entire summer to uh, make this piece. But it was one of those rare occasions where, um, you know, you, you get... Uh, approached by a brand to create something that you know you really want to make and really feels like a new opportunity to make something special um, the result is a two-minute short film basically it's a um, sort of an unconventional piece because they're running basically a two-minute art film with no music no voiceover no it's 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 really um, kind of incredible um, but it tells the brand history and it does it in uh, two minutes um, with all their robots and vehicles and you know all that stuff and uh, they're running it in the the highest profile slots on TV in the United States so um, and around the world so it's a wonderful opportunity to make something uh, high profile like that for a brand where they really wanted a bit of the art you know it's it's not just so much of a, a commercial I think the the coolest thing I've heard so far is um, someone posed this question when is it that a commercial itself feels less of a commercial than the making of the commercial. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that. I think that certainly, yeah, it definitely speaks for a sense of creativity on your part. It doesn't seem like something that's been kind of put together, sort of like paint by numbers, like let's make something seem like creative and borrowed or whatever. Like you know, It seems like something that definitely has your stamp on it. And yet at the same time, it kind of is unique amongst, say, your personal work has a sort of different approach, I guess, to the execution. Yeah, you know, again, it, it, I guess it falls within my wheelhouse in that, you know, there's hands flipping, uh, you know, physical objects, in this case, you know, paper with images uh, drawn on them, painted, whatever. But yeah, I, 
I worked hard to kind of make it feel um, fresh, you know, not, you know, and keeping objects out of it, you know. Um, there were ample opportunities in this film to, you know, put in the objects that would normally appear on an idea board, like rulers and, and um, push pins and all different objects that you'd normally find uh, uh, on an idea board. But uh, I tried to keep that out of there, to keep this more um, sort of collision of 2D animation, which is all like the drawn vehicles and robots, uh, but brought to life in stop motion um, in various uh, paper manipulation techniques. Um, but sort of kept it out of that sort of um, thing that, you know, people I think tend to expect of my work, where it's, it's objects and it's maybe jokey, uh, or, you know, there's there's you know, a lot of that substitution uh, stuff going. So I just thought this was an opportunity to, to uh, do something different. Yeah, something that's that paper manipulation style, um, which I don't know, if, is there a term for it? I've been sort of calling it advent calendar animation. <laughs> that's fun. But I've, I, I've never seen it on quite that scale, and certainly the level of kind of like depth, like, you know, this, it's sort of constructed on a sort of 3D environment. Um, has yeah. it never been sort of done in that way before? Not that I know of. Um, you know, there obviously, um, there are some um, examples, uh, on there, you know, some references, of course. There's a history of, like, working with paper in animation. But, um, you know, there were some references out there, but nothing, nothing that quite got to where I wanted to take the film. Part of my concept for this film was to, you know, not have the camera just look straight down at this board, but to, you know, look from the sides, and so uh, the drawings themselves would have to be drawn to be seen from a particular angle and sort of like, you know, uh, have some of those uh, optical illusion effects you typically find in those uh, sidewalk uh, street drawings and stuff like that. So to me it was just a playground for um, different techniques. And um, it was like paper sliding, there's a sequence where paper is held in midair, um, there's some flipping and folding. There's all different. Uh, there's some flipbook, classic flip. I really, it was a sandbox for me to uh, just come up with uh, interesting um, manipulations of paper. Um, it was a perfect template for it because you know they have, you know, the story of Honda really started with um, you know when uh, Honda himself put the uh, radio generator engine on a bicycle and turned it into basically a motorcycle. And, you know, it kick-started the, you know, the, the company that way. And then, uh, you know, that, that engine itself is the thread that moves through their entire corporate history. And, uh, you know, you've seen all the amazing products. So there's a story to tell there. But for me, coming up with a different sort of paper-engineered uh, manipulation idea for each um, product was a great challenge. Um, I, you know, as a two-minute film, you really have to keep viewers on their toes. You know, I need to do this in all my films, but, you know, it's always, when it comes down to it, a film is always like, does your viewer want to know what happens next? And so with a film like that, you know, it get boring if you just do the same old paper flipping technique the whole time. So for me, it was just, what's a good, you know, visual style, you know, aesthetic, uh, for each sequence, but also how to engineer the animation, you know, and the paper manipulation. That was a great challenge. I mean, there's maybe 27 different uh, scenes in the film, I think. I don't remember uh, counting them or something like that. So um, that was the big challenge, but the exciting part. 
Uh, yeah, so we're also when we talked last, and Submarine Sandwich was very sort of fresh in your mm-hmm. mind. Now that the year has gone by, more or less, um, looking back, how do you feel about the three films, like, as a whole? You know, I think I'm done making cooking films for a while. <laughs> okay. Believe it or not, I have other ideas to do in cooking. <laughs> um, and even, you know, distortions, I guess you'd call it, of that genre which could be really cool to do and maybe I'll keep them in my back pocket and do them at some point but um, I think I'm just ready to do something different I mean in between the three cooking films that I've made I made uh, some other short films which are quite different than the cooking films I, a little bit darker it's a little bit darker side of uh, my strain of ideas and the cooking films you know that's a sort of light and fun side of what I do but you know it's uh, since I I did the first cooking film in 2008 and I just finished Submarine Sandwich in 2015 I mean I've spent a good couple of years in that cooking film mindset and I'm just ready to move on even though I wanted to express those three ideas and I I, you know again it, it all comes down to did I have an idea that I wanted to make and in each of those three situations with Western Spaghetti, Fresh Guacamole, and Submarine Sandwich, I wanted to make the idea. I had an image in my head, and I just wanted to get it out there. And um, I did that. But in the process, you know, it's a funny thing that happens with your work, you know, over time. You know, something that's seen as novel when you first introduce it. It seems edgy when it's first out there. So in 2008, when I put Western Spaghetti out there, it was a new thing. It felt new, I think, to to the world and you know by 2015 like every brand you know on the planet wants to cook up some objects for their commercial and um, it's nice on one level to recognize that you know when you create something that it has this life and it it takes off but but you know it's played out I feel like it's you know I have to go back to the drawing board and and uh, do something that's um, you know the new thing, the next new thing. And that's just that pressure that you feel as an artist to create and make, you know, make stuff that's not out there yet. So that was Pez. Uh, last up is Tom Moore. And Tom Moore we featured on the podcast in the spring, I believe, also late spring, early summer, talking about Song of the Sea. It is a fantastic film. I'm sure you agree. Oh, yes, I do. I certainly do. And we at Click have a long relationship with Cartoon Saloon. I think... They came here first in 2008, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, with The Secret of Kells. And, um, yeah, so we have had them visit us a, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Last year, Ross was here and uh, with Song of the Sea. Mm-hmm. And now we have Tom Moore with The Prophet. It's amazing. The audience loves his work, loves their work. The Prophet uh, was screened last night as well. Uh, just to sort of uh, explain the sort of premise of The Prophet, it's a film that is sort of bound by one narrative that then goes off into the sort of different branches of uh, uh, animated interpretations of the main character's poetry and philosophical musings. One of them is animated by Tom Moore, uh, or animated by Cartoon Saloon, essentially, with Tom Moore at the helm. Other animators include Nina Paley and Bill Plimpton and Michelle Socha. Um, it's a really nice sort of variety of animation, all tied together by a very sort of accessible sort of Disney-esque uh, narrative directed by Roger Allen, who is a Disney veteran. He did The Lion King. I think it could serve as a really interesting way to get people to uh, discover other animators, you know, through this. Um, 
And certainly, you know, Tom Moore's segment is amongst the, the strongest, if not the strongest. It's a very, very touching, very, very well-rendered uh, sort of dance of love and falling out of love and the sort of challenges and all of that in a very sort of identifiable style, though at the same time not uh, immediately reminiscent of, you know, Song of the Seal, Secret of Cows. It has its, enough of its own identity to be a sort of separate piece of art, in a sense. Tom also talked earlier today about... Uh, well, it was a really very detailed sort of breakdown of the production process of that segment. I thought that was quite interesting because you could see all the sort of contributing artists will have their own sort of set of tales to tell about uh, what they brought to that film. And it was interesting to see like, you know, that sort of window into such an atypical film and how that kind of broke down. I found it really interesting to see the inspirations with the Moroccan tiles and mm. Uh, mm. really beautiful to see. And uh, so how in the, the, the developed from, mm. the, from the early drawings to the end result. Mm-hmm. So Tom also sort of mentioned The Prophet and sort of various other sort of upcoming projects briefly when we uh, interviewed him a few months ago. But uh, here he is elaborating a little bit more on his involvement with The Prophet. Very early on, we were um, approached by some of the producers and they, they, they came to Paul Young. They met Paul Young was kind of our, one of the founders of the company and the, one of the main producers in the company. So they talked to him about it. And it was early enough that they were just putting the team together. I'm not even sure, I don't even think they had Roger as the overall director assigned, but they were just putting a list of people together. We were like, sure, happy to be part of the team. The list of people they had was impressive. The project also looked a bit ambitious and maybe a little bit unlikely, so we didn't expect to hear anything from it. But it kind of stayed alive. When I was in LA, I met with Clark Peterson, one of the producers, and he said Salma was coming on and Roger was on it. and It was happening. And um, it ended up, as these things tend to do, coming together at the same time as Song of the Sea so I was half considering backing out but I couldn't really because I just felt the team and the project was too interesting not to be part of so I asked uh, Ross Stewart who'd been the art director on Secret of Kells to co-direct my little piece with me and I felt I could manage it even though it was happening at the same time as Song of the Sea that way and so we worked together Uh, I can't remember exactly how long it took we kind of did it along like slowly like I kind of get up really early in the morning and work on it from like seven in the morning till about nine when everyone started to come in and then Ross and I would have a chat and Ross would sort of you know only call me over to look at the work that the team were doing on it whenever he needed to Um, and that was how I managed to do it at the same time as directing Song of the Sea. And looking at it you know now that it's all sort of put together and it's doing the rounds at the moment are there any sort of other segments from other artists that you have a particular kind of fondness for? Uh, I like them all. Yeah, I think I think the segments are um, my favorite part of it because they they show all different uh, styles, which is great to see because it's wrapped in a fairly accessible mainstream family sort of format. So I, th- I think audiences that wouldn't normally be exposed to that sort of filmmaking, the people who mightn't go to a film festival, will discover unusual animation styles. And I think that's pretty exciting. Um, I've always been a fan of, of everyone's work. The one person whose work I hadn't seen uh, much of before was Yohan uh, uh, Sfar, apart from The Rabbi's Cat. I thought his piece was really lovely and kind of close to us. We had an idea close to what he did in the end. Uh, Bill Clinton's piece is, is pretty amazing too. Um, in I know you're a fan of him as well. So yeah, I was excited to be asked. I hadn't seen much of Joan Gratz's stuff before. I'm really impressed with what she did, really painterly. But all of it, all of these are fantastic. It would seem that the, the main sort of narrative through line um, with that very sort of particular, like you say, slightly more mainstream 
look to it and kind of approach this more for a family mm. audience. Um, and then the sort of tangents that seem a lot more kind of, I think, to perhaps younger viewers, a little more artistically yeah. challenging. Yeah. Um, and also it can sort of go to slightly darker places, mm. whereas in the sort of main story, the, sort mm. of the dark elements are more kind of kept a little more at bay. Mm. Mm. Um, was there any kind of like notes or anything to sort of keep a balance right as far as? Uh, we were given a fairly blank slate, but then once we kind of proposed what we wanted to do, we were given some notes to keep it within the, that it wouldn't be too much of a diversion from the main story and the audience the main story was aimed at. So, for example, one of our references was uh, Egon Schiele and Gustav Klimt, but we couldn't um, we couldn't have any nudity, so we had to be clever. Like our idea was that the the two lovers, as they get closer together, they sh they shed some of their coverings, some of the things that are kind of keeping them apart. And they're more naked with each other. It's in the, it's a line in the in the poem, and there's another part in the poem really that says like you know about covering up your nakedness if you don't want to to experience love fully and, and move apart. So we were using clothes as part of storytelling, but we couldn't have any any nipples or anything. So we had to be clever, but it was fine. We found decorative ways to do it, and so there wasn't really any. I didn't feel compromised. Do you guess sort of this ultimately as a film? Do you feel that it's successful? That it holds together well. Yeah, I've only seen it once in, in Toronto, and maybe I'm a bit too close to it to, to say for sure. I will see what... Then genuinely, people seem to really resonate with it, like the way the book has resonated with people. So, I, yeah, I think it's it's definitely... It's it's in the same place in my head as favourites I have, like uh, Fears of the Dark or even uh, Fantasia. You know, like those kind of compilation films that they're not, they're not quite uh, a complete film that you might watch over and over again in its entirety, but you'll always dip into certain parts of it over and over again. And then when you watch it all in its entirety in a cinema it's a different experience you know so that was tom moore and thanks to tom and of course pess and yob and yoris of yob yoris and marika and uh, thanks to you yvonne for talking to me today i'm looking very much forward to uh click 2016 i'm hoping i can be there for the whole event next time around uh, i got a good sort of three days here it was a really nice sort of you know first look at the festival but yes yeah, it's, uh, it's been a really lovely week it would be lovely to see you again and thanks also to tundi vollenbrook and sari soriana for all their hard work and organization as well as Hans Walter and Samuel Minnie for their work on the Filmmakers Talk Show for episodes 1, 2, and 3 of this Minnesota series. If you haven't had a listen to those yet, I advise you check them out. There's some really, really nice insights from various attending filmmakers at this year's Click. Thanks also to Jen Hall and Alison Kennedy of Film Hub Northwest for their assistance getting me over here. And of course, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen. To keep up to speed with future events to do with Click, visit click.amsterdam. And for further coverage and our general news, reviews, features, interviews, podcasts, videos, all that good stuff, visit squiggly.com. Until next time, happy animating.